everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottkiwi.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, Vivi Rama. Vivi. Who has played bass with so many greats, and we'll tell you all about this. I have with me, for the third week running, my Irish purple-haired friend, Tanya. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How's Deli- Los Angeles life? Delighted to be here. Great, I love being back in LA. After a year or so away on the road, so it's great being back here and doing this co-host with all these amazing people we've managed to gather together. Yes, we've managed to somehow make it work. Um, Tanya's been driving me about Los Angeles. Uh, I've been scared to death driving on the wrong side of the road. Um, well, I was driving on the right side, but the wrong side from home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting way of life. And, and as you pointed out the other day, and out here in Los Angeles, one of the main differences that I've noticed is that people beep the horn, and then somebody else beeps the horn. Everybody beeps horns yeah, together. They're pretty angry on the road out here. At home, we're in like Scotland and Ireland and the UK, whatever. We're a bit more chilled. We tend to let people go, but here it's like ah, everyone's in a rush. But I love the chaos of LA. <laughs> <laughs> the chaos of LA. Um, talking of chaos, this this person is chaotic. This person is genuinely one of my favourite human beings on earth. Vivi is epic. She is. She is the person. Now get this, and, and I think people think I'm making this up, and I, you've got no idea how much this just. I, I think this is amazing. Not only does she play bass like better than most, and she has been on the stage with Well I Am, she's been on the stage with Orianthe, she's been on the stage with Macy Gray, to name but a few. Perhaps even cooler than those things, she runs her own ice cream company. Vegan ice cream, to be specific. Let me say that again, and you didn't, you didn't mishear me here. She runs her own ice cream company, vegan ice cream company, and it's not just ice cream, it's wise cream. I love it as a as a long term vegan. I'm so happy that she does that. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing, and yeah. I, I don't want to speak too much about it because I will be spoiling the interview coming up. <laughs> but her story is unbelievable to think. It's a scary thought for a lot of us musicians. Tanya's done it. She's been hugely successful at it. Jeff Friedel's done it, who also has been on the podcast. And of course, I'm talking about moving to Los Angeles, trying to get that big break, trying to get that big gig. That's scary enough, but Vivi couldn't speak English. She le- This is her second language and she's moved over to Los Angeles from Argentina and she's made it at the highest possible level. Fascinating stuff, she's got a great story. She makes ice cream, she couldn't be cooler, and that's not meant to be a rubbish uh-huh. pun. Okay? <laughs> But, um, it could be cooler because it's vegan ice cream. There you go. <laughs> We're going to get right to the interview with Vivi Rama. Okay, we are rolling, and I'm with my favourite Argentinian, or, or my joint favourite Argentinian, because Maradona's got me my favourite. Yes, and how about Messi? Messi? Right, let's get it out of the way. Messi <laughs> or Maradona, what do you think? I prefer Messi. How come? 
But I don't know. I just I don't know. I like his personality a little better. I think. But the thing is, uh, a couple of the reporters have said that Messi. Maradona is a lot more loved in Argentina. Is that well, yes, because you know there's a history, and you know Messi hasn't won any of the World Cups, um, so I don't know. I think it, it's it, it's he had more time to build up that love too. You know, mm-hmm. and Messi also is playing in Spain. You know, and even though Maradona went to Italy, but um, but I don't know. I, I like Messi. A You're lot. Messi. Yeah. I, I, I really want him to win. Talking of this, because we, well, I haven't mentioned this on Twitter or on Facebook, but you and I watched the World Cup final together. Yeah. And um, it's funny because before the interview, everyone, I usually say to the guest, is there anything you don't want to talk about? And straight away, Vivi said, the World Cup final. <laughs> and I went, all right, okay, I've kind of got... I have better feelings about that. <laughs> it was kind of, that free kick at the end, I thought, this is going to be Messi's moment. This is going to be... I know, yeah, but they also stole us of a penalty. There was a clear penalty in the game that wasn't called. And and also, I don't know, uh, there is a lot of Argentinians here in LA, but I went and picked the only bar I in LA that the that there were that many people from Germany in, in Los Angeles. And I, I guess I picked the bar where all of them were like just getting together. <laughs> there was no Argentinians. The Latins that were there, wanted Germ- they wanted Germany to win. So it felt lonely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, it was it's one of those deals where um, I found it hilarious, the fact that there were so many Germans in. And if you remember at one point, I can't remember the name of the player, but... The, if I can get this right, the German goalkeeper kind of did a really bad tackle in the Argentinian player. Yeah. And five minutes later, an Argentinian player like hot one of the Germans, and he's got like blood yeah. on his forehead, and everybody in the bar, mm-hmm. all the all the obviously all the German fans and even the Argentinian fans were going lighting up a little bit. This is getting out of hand, and you were standing going like, that, "Oh, go cry to your mama." <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Do you remember that? Come on, yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just, it was very unfortunate, but... Yeah, but, you know, I think that it's a rematch in September, somebody told me, so, I mean, still not a World Cup, but uh, we might get a nice revenge in there. I hope so, because I don't think there's anybody on earth that doesn't want to see Messi lift the World Cup. Yeah. Um, because it would be, um, because until then, I think the whole Messi-Maradona comparison, there isn't one, because, like you said, he's not achieved the, um, mm-hmm. the, um, the holy grail of mm-hmm. lifting that yep. World Cup. Right, so we're going to talk about you playing bass. We're going to talk about your music, but this, but perhaps even cooler than that, you make your own ice cream. So as well as yes. playing bass with Will I Am, Orianthe, <laughs> Nicole Scherzinger, to name but a few, you own your own ice cream company. You're living the dream. I live the dream. Yes, I always love food, always, and one of my dreams was always to like own a little cafe or I always have a heart for for food and and it's pretty you know it's pretty parallel to music it's like you're creating you you know when you play music you're just bringing flavors into into an environment and and coloring and and it's the same thing with food I feel so so yes I um I finished doing a few uh, tours back to back on the road being always gone and and uh as soon as I took a break, uh, I try um, to dedicate some of my time to this passion that I have for food. And so we started um, with my partner this little project that is like getting a little bit out of control now because we had to figure out how to do this at a bigger scale and everything. But uh, yeah, basically it's uh, a non-dairy ice cream 
uh, so, company that so is cool. very good and um, and yeah, we love it. Right, so what? Uh, so that's my day. You know, I get up, I play a little bit, I do my practice, and I go do ice cream. Then I go come back home and do a session. Then I go play a show. You know, it's like. <laughs> then I go out and sell ice cream, and that's that's my crazy life right now. It's so cool because uh, it's it's not ice cream; it's wise cream. <laughs> yes, it's so, wise cream. So this all developed then organically, or did you? Was there any point you thought, right? Okay, here's I've got an idea. There's you've, you've got well. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was. Uh, it, it grew organically. I would say. I always wanted to do something with food. I love ice cream. I love, love, love ice cream. I absolutely love ice cream. And I have to say, um, in Argentina, because of the influence of so many Italians in Buenos Aires, uh, we have the, the ice cream in Argentina. It's it's not ice cream and it's not gelato. It's like a mix of both worlds, and it's like a very creamy and nice product and it's very difficult when you get out of Argentina to find that you know like even when I go to Italy I love their gelato but it's different and here I have to say it's mostly this prepackaged thing that is full of things that we don't need and and um, so I wanted to do ice cream and um, and start making my own ice cream when I was still uh, consuming dairy and what happened in the process is I, I became vegan, so I don't do any dairy now. And um, I don't eat anything that comes from an animal. So basically, I start trying the vegan ice cream and I, it's just like not very yummy stuff out there, I have to say, so I start making my own and some people were like starting to ask me to make it for them, you know, and uh, that's how this all started. It's so cool, and the business is clearly growing because a lot of people online. There's there's all sorts of people tweeting about it. Orianti was, was yeah, tweeting about was, it. Yeah, and of course the, the websites they're getting a lot of people are, are are interested in this now. And I I really want a tub of this because I doubt at this moment in time you've got any distribution in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> so while I'm here, I need to track down this stuff. It's, it sounds absolutely brilliant. So l- let's go back a little bit um, to the World Cup. To the World Cup, <laughs> no. Well, well, that's that's a no, that's that's a that's a sore point for both you and I. Yes, then, I want to forget. Yes, there's there's well, four years time. Messi's going to lift a trophy without a doubt. <laughs> but you've you had classical training prior yes. to playing bass. Is that right? On on what instrument? Uh, actually, I was playing and don't laugh. I was playing flute. Okay. For like a long time, I always play. Ever since I was a kid, I play music. I actually start with guitar. By the time I was four or five, I was crying to my parents that I wanted a guitar. They didn't know where that came from. I, they don't know if I saw somebody with a guitar. The thing is, my dad used to travel a lot. Um, he was a com- uh, he worked on a commercial merchant marine right. uh, ship, so he brought me a beautiful guitar from Spain and uh, one of these um, uh, acoustic guitars. You know, the Spanish guitars. But I was too small, so I used to put in a chair and just like strum the guitar, you know. So by the time I was eight, I started taking guitar lessons. Then I I um, I started playing uh, flute and piano, and you know, my parents were sending me to to music schools, and that's mainly classical training. So I ended up during my high school years, I was going to high school in the morning and to music school every day. Um, there was this program that was five, five days a week where I learned how to read music, play. I, 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 flute was my main instrument, but you also have to play a piano, you know, and guitar and, and choir and 
and rhythm lessons and it was just like a full-on very uh, European influence for the for the tr classical training and you know when I was still in high school I started playing in, in, in an orchestra and a quintet ensemble and I have a flute duo that we travel a lot and and um, and it was great but there was something missing for me and I couldn't put my finger on what it was and and I the funny thing is that as a teenager I didn't listen to any popular music my friends were listening to rock and and all these bands and I was just listening to classical music and I was playing classical music so um, I was playing actually at a at a kind of like a bossa nova um, kind of Brazilian music a, a music um, a band and there was a guitar player and we have uh, fl flutes and like we have different instruments and basically we didn't have a bass player and somebody suggested why didn't somebody start playing bass we went all together to the music store and we bought a bass <laughs> and they bought an Argentinian made bass the, the, the brand was FAIM F-A-I-M and that's the beginning and I, I, as soon as I grabbed that instrument in my hands I was like I couldn't just get enough of it and so I started more like a jazz training and I, I played tango there too and and that was it and, and then I started playing in a band um, in, a, in a pop band in Argentina we got signed we got a record out I started touring with them in Argentina which is very small scale and um, and that was it that was the beginning of the end <laughs> the beginning of the end. So, I mean, looking at your resume since then, it's quite unbelievable because you've been on the David Letterman show, Jimmy Kimmel, the Ellen show, and now you've been on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but it's quite a resume. I mean, so how did you move to Los Angeles? How did this come about? Well, I went around a lot. I went, my parents are from Spain. I grew up in Argentina. Um, my parents moved back to Spain at some point, so I moved with them. Then I went back to Argentina. Then when I went to Spain, then I got a, a, a summer gig playing in Paris, and I went there thinking maybe staying there. So I spent like four months there. Um, went back to Spain, went to New York for a year. Um, then went to Argentina for like three months. Got rid of a lot of the stuff that I still had there and came to uh, Los Angeles. And um, so I've been around, I was trying to pick where I wanted to live, you know, and, but I was music, making, you know, playing music all along. So it was, it was great. I met amazing people. I mean, uh, that summer gig that I did in Paris was playing Celtic music. Mm -hmm. So it was like crazy. Like uh, we were playing with this guy that played all kind of like weird instruments. I don't even remember the names and, and, and yeah, it was, it, it's uh, the good thing about music is like, it's a, it's a, it's its own language. So you can go, I, I mean, I've been to places where I couldn't talk you know, with people because I didn't speak the language, but you know, you can't four and you start playing music <laughs> and everybody it's from the same place, you know, so. So yeah, I feel uh, very lucky that I had that experience. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you've done some amazing, thing, amazing uh, things and played with some, some great artists. So what out of the, the kind of quote unquote big gigs, the, uh, the, the, the big league, what came, came first? Was it Will I Am or was it... Uh, Nicole Scherzinger. How did I would say I would say Will was right, okay. my first first big production kind of thing. Where like, you know, at the time before I got the gig, I was playing like with like fifty different bands and 
learning material every week, you know, and it was like I was doing what uh, a lot of musicians have to do when, when you're in town, you know, and it's just like, you know, wear many hats. One night you're playing with a punk rock band and the next day you're playing with a singer-songwriter and then you're doing jazz in the hotel and then, you know, like I was doing a lot of that and that was the first time I got hired to just learn the specific set list of songs and you have to go to rehearsal seven days a week for like 12 to, to, to 14 hours a day, you know, and and that for me was the, the first time I had that experience and it was, it, you know, I could just be playing those songs while I was sleeping, basically, you know, it was like, um, and we did it for a month that. So um, I would say that was quite the first uh, experience for me to be like more of a, at a, I would say professional because I, I feel like anybody that is going even to play to a gig to a local town, you know, you, you're being a professional. But I, I think it was just like a bigger scale of, and kind of a, a dream that I wanted to do. So I, I felt very lucky that I had that experience. So what's he like then? Well, I am. It was crazy. I mean, I what do you, you call him? Do you call him Will? <laughs> yeah, I already called him, call him Will. Will. I didn't see much of him, to be quite honest, because he was in the middle of doing the Black Eyed Peas tour. So we would rehearse without him. We have um, Elliot, um, um, Eric Smith, sorry, Eric Smith was uh, our musical director. He's a monster bass player. Mm. Uh, he's play with Rihanna, he's playing with Justin Timberlake now, and he's, to me, it was like going back to school, having him as a musical director. He used to grab my bass and say, play this, you know, and play like impossible lines, and he's an R&B guy, and, and it was, he also was the, guy, the one that um, uh, got me into playing key bass, you know, uh, on synth, and and it was crazy. We wouldn't see Will until like we would fly to you know London or oh. one city, and he would just come f for that show or for that TV show. And it was it was it was kind of a crazy time, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was an all girl band. The his album was uh, called Song About Girl Songs About Girls. So there was a the whole thing about having girls on stage. There was these dancers, and the band was um, the drummer. Uh, the keyboard player and the guitar player and, and myself and amazing musicians, all of them, and it was great time. We we had a, a great time. Talking of all girl bands and females playing guitar and bass, you and I are both a big fan, a big <laughs> fans of Carol Kay. Who yes. you've met? I met Carol Kay. I took a class with her, mm. and uh, I mean, I heard of Carol Kay when I was still in high school and I didn't start playing bass and I, I you know I got these books that 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 uh, bass uh, technique books that she wrote and I devoured them and I was just so um, inspired by looking up to this woman that recorded all these albums back in the day and so to me meeting her was uh, like a big event you know and I was nervous I remember meeting her and Five minutes into it, I was totally relaxed because she's such a welcoming, humble, beautiful person and so talented. She's also an amazing guitar player. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, I took a class with her. It was supposed to be an hour, but it ended up being like a three-hour class or four-hour class. I don't know how long I was there. And she gave me material that I could, you know, I, I'm still revising things that she gave me. And this was like a few years ago. She's She uh, has so much knowledge and so much passion and 
and um and and yeah i know you 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 say you, you told me that uh, uh that little scene about saying to somebody no that's not how it is but because that she's very passionate so when you're playing yeah. she just tell you no that's not how it is this is let me show you and but all you know with you know that she's she knows what she's talking about and i was there for that to just to to get that knowledge and she's also full of anecdotes and stories and It was just very, very inspiring for me to to have that experience and meeting her. And you told you told me very briefly that she showed you the check. Yes, she showed me a check for Mission Impossible. That's what it was, right? <laughs> Because we were, as you know, and everybody knows online that follows us that we were. Uh, well, I was fortunate enough to go to her house, and I was tempted to say. My friend Vivi told me that you've got a check for Mission Impossible. Can I see it? But you obviously she showed you that. That's totally yeah. Did amazing. Did she show it to you? No, I was going to ask her, but then oh. I thought I don't oh, know. Oh, she should, she would have shown it to right. you. She, she's um, she's she's very sharing about the things. It's a, it's a it's actually a sad story. You know, she was just telling us how back in the day you there was no royalties or anything. Um, so she went to do the. She used to do not only albums but a lot of the TV themes that you hear in any '60s shows and and '70s. I believe uh, she she would record those, and mm-hmm. you know the, the royalty check would go to the to the composer, but not to any of the musicians. So she showed me a check. I believe it was like a hundred bucks, which probably back in the day was a nice check for the session. Mm-hmm. But that song played over and over and over yeah. in so many countries and so many times of the day, and that's all she got. It's so. madness, and it would have been like that for a lot of the total with the absolute classics mm-hmm. that she's played on, which is quite unfortunate. And I think it was 1973 that they changed the rules to yeah. the Rolly, so it's just unfortunate that she was a few years later, but. Still, she's played. Yeah. And she's had an and amazing. And also, you know, career. albums used to not to have the credits or musicians. Yeah. You know, I think Blue Note was the one, the 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 label that started all that. So there is also still a lot of um, controversy about some songs that were recorded back in the day that um, she claims she was, she was recording them, but now they are attributed to somebody else. And it was a it was a messy time, you know. But also an amazing time. She was in the studio every day. You know, you don't have that that kind of uh, routine for musicians anymore. I mean, some people are, are doing that, but it's a, at a much bigger, it was at a much bigger scale back then. And, and yeah, absolutely. The whole model has changed and you've definitely remained very savvy with that. You're talking about how musicians are not recording in studios. A lot of people are doing recordings online. I know that's a service that you're now yeah. providing. Can you tell us about that? Because you can, essentially, if you want to have you playing on Yes. If, if me as a singer-songwriter wanted you playing bass, I send you an email. Mm-hmm. How, how does this work? Yeah. Well, it's a. It's been a great thing when when all these uh, little like studio compact things like I, I don't know if you remember the first uh, M box and mm-hmm. when it came back, it came out and you know um, I was very curious about all that because. Um, Uh, first off, I think it's a great gear to have, even if you're not doing it, um, you know, as a, as a way to make money. It's a great gear to record yourself as part of your everyday training. Because I remember when I I was practicing for hours, and then I would go record my first recording sessions that I did in Argentina. When I listen back, there were certain things I didn't like about the tone, and so you know, you you your tone is your voice as a musician. So I think you need to spend extra time picking not only your instrument but how you're gonna 
you know, like what amp you're gonna use, and and for recording it's the same thing. There are certain things that it might sound good, you know, in a live setting, but then when you go to the studio, that might not work, you know. So I got very curious. I remember I got in the first Pro Tools, uh, like thing that came out with the little inbox and everything so I started experimenting with that so you know as the as the years uh, pass I tried to do a, like a nicer setup that would allow it to be on a on an actual record and I created a setup where I actually I started recording online for people when I was on the road because what would happen is like I would I when I start touring I don't know something happened and I start touring and I start being gone all the time so I didn't want to miss the opportunity to maybe recording for somebody that was about to do a demo or an album or something. So I created this little setup that I actually use in, in hotel rooms. I record a lot of albums while I was on the road wow. too. Yeah. So, you know, with my computer, I have, I use a DI from Aguilar that is amazing. And it's almost like a mini amp that you can just, it has like control over your tone. So. That's my secret weapon, and then I used to take my little small little hard drive, and I have a, a an Apogee Duet too, you know, that sounds amazing, very pristine, and and that's all you need, you know, and your your headphones, and and I used to set up at a venue. Sometimes we would, you know, you go to a venue, and you have to be at the venue all day, and, but you're not, you know, it's 10 a.m. and you're not sound checking until like 3 p.m. So I would just like find a little corner somewhere with a little electrical outlet and set up my stuff. And and I have even recorded tracks on the bus, on the tour bus. Really? <laughs> yes. That's pretty cool. With people walking in by me, you know, and yeah. That's, so. been, that's been entrepreneurial because you're just about to play your gig. Yeah. So you'd be making money for that. Yeah. You're making a bit of money in the and side. And also, you know, when you're on the road, you have so much time to kill sometimes. You have at hours that... Mm -hmm. You know, like, so I was trying to, to keep busy, even when I was busy. So, mm -hmm. and um, so at, at home, I, I have the, the setup, like, but I have nicer speakers there and a comfortable chair <laughs> and a nice desk. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, people send me the, the, the MP3s and, and I just uh, send them back the WAV files or whatever they need them. And that's how it works. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. It sounds really cool. It sounds very exciting indeed. And it's good that you can do that um, on your own. Um, just before we continue, um, well, I want to talk to you about Orianthe and touring with her. Um, and I also want to give a big thanks to a, a great, big, lovely, beautiful man who's on the other side of the world right now from me, as I'm in Los Angeles, Ron North, who's been producing this these podcasts for ages, and he's a great guy. I hope you're doing well on the other side of the world, Ron. But anyway, Vivi, we're just going to advertise some of our previous episodes, and we're going to talk when we get back about Orianthe. Don't forget to check out all the previous episodes available at scottkiwi.com. Episode 1, Glenn Matlock. One week later, we had Huey Morgan. Then we had Sandy Tom. Then we had Brian Ray from Paul McCartney's band. Then we had Orianthe. Then we had Bob Jacobs. Then we had Phil Toll, who's Metallica's therapist. Then a week later, we had the Grahams from Wet, Wet, Wet. Then we had Andy McKee, Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene, Cliff Goldmacher, Steve White, who drums with Paul Weller and Oasis and The Who, Martin Taylor, MBE. Then we had Stuart Copeland, Dweezil Zappa, Martin Harley, Julian Lennon, Carol Kay, Tommy Emmanuel, Kaki King, John Gom, Nick West, Thomas Lang, Rhonda Smith, 
Glenn Sobel, Graham Clark came on for his part two. We had Ailey McKellar, Jennifer Batten, Larry Graham, Newton Faulkner and Jack Bruce, Antoine Dufour, and of course this week, the very first Argentinian on the podcast, Vivi Rama. All available at scottcowie.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes and SoundCloud. Tell a friend, follow, share, like, tweet, um, Bebo, do what you've got to do to help us spread the word. It's all good. Oriante. That was great. That was um, that was actually my last uh, long tour that I did, and she's not only like an amazing, amazing musician, but she's also a great, beautiful person. So, and, and the band, those guys, the, the drummer and the guitar player, they're like my brothers, Mike and Brian, and amazing musicians, and we had a great time. I mean, I, I've been lucky that all all the tours I did, honestly, I. I had the best families, you know, it was like, I was very lucky because it can be, you know, it can be um, very intense to be with the same people every day for every single day in a year, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I, it was it was a lot of fun. We, we, we did some silly things and, you know, like with our like videos on YouTube, like exercising to some crazy music and stuff like that, but it, it was great. It was very good. It seems to me that the whole um, the whole ethos and the whole attitude of a musician has had to change these days. I think the the days of partying, the days of mad mad things going on on tour, it's not completely abolished. But I think people have just had to smarten up. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, when you're on the road, there is a lot of. Um, you know, it, it became an enter- enterprise, you know, so there are a lot of people that depend on that job and things need to go a certain way. So if you're somebody that uh, can commit to, to or be, you know, freshen up for the time that you have to go on, on, on the stage, and that counts for everybody from the roadies to the people that work behind the the, the stage. And, and, and yeah, I haven't, I mean, I haven't really experience any like crazy partying and I, I think you know we're like watching movies and eating pizza at the tour bus and going to sleep you know and in dairy free ice cream <laughs> yes yes but um but yeah you know i think um i prefer it that way you know mm-hmm. I, I think uh i think it's a little healthier and and um i think you get a better result at the end of the night Absolutely. Now, following on from that, have you got any advice for younger musicians that are looking to kind of, um, well, obviously make a career in quite a, a, a very tough industry? I know it's quite a, a kind of broad question, but is there anything that springs to mind um, at all? Um, you know, I don't think there is a recipe. I mean, every single touring musician that you talk to, they might have a different story about how they got there. Um, one thing I think thing that everybody has in common is like your perseverance you know like just make sure that you're ready when the time comes because you never know what's going to happen you know so make sure you are up to date not only on your plane but musically and what's happening your gear you know learn your gear upside down you know learn your instrument learn your 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 tone your your tone is your voice you know and and uh, be prepared you know, when when every time I had an audition, I I went to a lot of a lot of auditions, and I didn't get all of the gigs. You know, sometimes you just it's no, you know, it's not for you, and they're not the person they're looking for. But uh, 
make sure that at least when you go there you you're prepared you know you you know the material and and um and i also my advice is as a musician is like you know you, you can get very lost into looking at that um amazing tour playing for 60,000 people you know but as a musician everything counts so when you go and you go to play to the local bar with the local band with the local musicians be as professional as you, as you would be and committed and responsible as you would be at a stadium with 60,000 people because that counts i think that's what's going to shape you to be able to to move forward you never know who's going to be watching you exactly yeah. exactly Final question. We ask everybody this now, these days. Um, if you had to put together your ideal fantasy band, right? Ooh. You could have anybody in it, dead or alive, of course. You can do what you want in the band. I would imagine you'd be playing bass, but you can do whatever you want. I can cater ice cream too. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Who do you think would be in that band? I don't know. That's a very tough question. It's, this takes forever That's to That's a for very, very, answer. very tough question. Um... There's so many, you know, for example, I, if I wasn't playing bass in the band, probably I would have Rhonda Smith playing bass. She's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite bass players. And she's an amazing musician. I, I, um, I, I've been lucky enough to live in, in a city where she once in a while was playing live at some venue and I would like just go out of my way and drive across town if I had to, to go see her play. She's been also an amazing amazing inspiration as of the rest of the band i don't know there's so many great musicians you know like um um i don't know it's, it would be would be very tough to pick um but i don't know if we, if i could bring back to life james brown i would love to play with him that would be cool <laughs> i would love to play with him um it's actually shaping up we've got james brown out front we've got you and Rhonda Smith on bass, just yes, depending. Yes, well, he used to have two bass players yeah, and two course. drummers. Right, right. So okay, there we go. Right. So um, who else? Drummers. Oh, my God, drummers. There's so many good drummers. Um, and people that I have toured with, like Mike Baker, which was the drummer for Ori, or Michael Bedard, which was the drummer when I was with um, with Jordan Sparks. They're, both of them are like so different and so amazing, and I love playing with them. And... Who else? I don't know. It's just it's just very very hard to put a, a fantasy band for me. We'll, we'll get there. This will be this will be in a, we'll answer this at some point. But it just clocked my there because I've got your website in front of me here that you were on GMTV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Do you remember laughs> <that>? <laughs> Have you Have ever you, watched that show? Yeah. Well, it's obviously <laughs> being from Scotland. It's a very popular show it's in the a, United Kingdom. Yeah. It was. Um, it was. Uh, I believe it was with Will. Um, with Will, I am we, when we were doing some promo in. Europe. Will I am's been on GMTV. I think so. Yeah. Right, okay. Is that is that the UK TV yes, show? Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah. From so for and it's like a variety early morning thing. Yeah. I remember we had to be very super early uh, at this building, and um, yeah, I believe it was with Will, and we were doing some promo probably in London. We went there a lot. Um, I even considered moving there at, at, at that time. I was in love with, yeah. Oh well, <laughs> listen. The next time you're over in the UK. <laughs> We'll have this chat again and we will complete the answer to yeah. your ideal fantasy yes. band. And you need to sort out because I, I, I need to make sure I, I want some of this ice cream. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to need to sort this out. So you I have to need, send you a track. 
yes. or like a container, a super container. Well, I was thinking that. I, said, I thought to myself, I'm just going to get Vivi to send me over. And then I thought, how can you, because you would need to then buy a freezer and then, you know, get that packaged up. But yeah. sort it out. Well, we can probably find some nice uh, gear, like uh, cases, you know, right. like like those roadie cases that people use. We put dry ice in there. We fill it up with ice cream mm-hmm. and we ship it, the, ship it on the next tour that is going to the UK. You've heard it here first, everybody. Vivi is going to put uh, ice cream in a flight case <laughs> for me <laughs> and ship it over to Scotland. It's done. It's done. It's a deal. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thanks for keeping me company when we watched the World Cup final yeah. together. Yeah. Thanks for teaching me all the swear words in Argentinian. Um, they're going to come in really handy. I know how to say... If I'm ever over in Argentina, I know how to say Germany, you son of a bitch. (laughs) She told me how to say that. So it's all good. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) She is a cool chick. As I pointed out to her, my joint favourite Argentinian, I think I said, next to Maradona or Messi or whatever. (laughs) But she's great. And as you heard there on the interview, we watched the World Cup final together, which was just one of the greatest days ever because she was so angry. Um, watching the TV <laughs> and shouting abuse at the Germans, as Great I said good. in the, the podcast. Go get idea, your mama! <laughs> and everything. But she's great, and we went down, and you're going to love this. We went down a couple of weeks ago in Los Angeles to a farmer's market because Vivi said after the interview, you need to come down to watch me. And you, nice I'll, impression I'll, there. I'll, see, I'll make you ice cream. Come to the farmer's market. I'll give you samples of ice cream. It <laughs> you don't give up your cream. day job, honey. Uh, shut up. <laughs> So um, yeah, we did, but she she's absolutely she's great and um, such a good player as well. Yeah, really incredible player, lovely feel, everything, and you know she's she's done great for herself out here. So well it's inspiring, her, isn't man. it? Absolutely, especially like you said, having to learn English as well as the big jump. It's scary coming over here and wherever you're coming from, but not speaking the language. Kudos to that girl. Yeah, and she's very articulate as well, mm-hmm. and clearly she very sure is. Very, very, very bright. Clever lady. Um, so we've got all the respect in the world for Vivi. Thanks very much for joining us. And it's interesting. We highlighted the, the point on the podcast before about the world of respect that everybody's got for Carol Kay. Yeah. And on that note, we'd like to remind everybody that we have a vodcast on the go. You're listening to a podcast right now, which means it's audio only. Dun, dun, dun. But Tanya and I have put together a special video series of the podcast. And Tanya came up with the idea to call it a vodcast. Because she came up with a clever idea to merge the word video with podcast and call it a vodcast. Yeah, you tell us about how that came about. <laughs> well, yeah, it's never been done before where people have merged words. <laughs> Sarcasm. So there you go. Um, once again, thanks to Vivi. Check out scottcowie.com. Check out the podcast. Check out the vodcast. It's all good. We will see you guys next week because we've got, and I've got to thank Tanya for this, right? She set up this interview. Very good friend of mine, Mr. Warren Hort, who's an incredible producer and engineer that lives out here in LA, who also came from far away, back home. The far, far away. Far, far away. A little bit further than me, even again. He's from the UK, but he's worked with some amazing artists. He's worked with Aerosmith, he's worked with The Fray. He's out here, you know, doing his thing for the past 20 years nearly. Killer, killer guy. So that'll be an interesting interview. It certainly will be. Um, yeah, he's, he's an extremely knowledgeable guy, and for somebody that's done an album with Aerosmith, um, you know, this guy's got a lot of knowledge about music, and his story is very interesting indeed. You don't want to miss it. We, we will see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>